So we have Ben Prentice joining us, who is the legend in the hockey world, the ever elusive Ben Prentice. There doesn't seem to be too much of you online, mate. Um, I come across you when I was training the Zurich Lions and your long-term client, Ryan Shannon. Yeah. Mentioned all about you. And then as I started diving in, it was mega impressive seeing the, the list of guys you've worked with for so long, mate. So you just were starting to get in, uh, into it. When did you start and uh, how many hours you reckon you've done up to now? <laughs> um, yeah, so you won't see much about me online. I'd say I started, um, you know, it's probably the same story that you've heard from a lot of your clients, uh, or sorry, your podcast guests, is that, uh, you know, I graduated college on a Friday and uh, that Monday I think I trained 14 hours of people at my first gym. Um, so, you know, then that was like 26 years ago. Um, then took me about, um, it took me about six years of doing, working at a uh, world gym and, and powerhouse gym. And, you know, I would bring a Swiss ball into the gym while guys were wearing their like gorilla pants and uh, gallons of water, looking at me like I was absolutely insane with a Swiss ball. I had my polo shirt on back then. Cause I figured that's what strength coaches wore. So I wore a polo shirt and, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I quickly realized, you know, if I want to train athletes, especially at this time, no, there wasn't such a thing as performance centers and one-on-one -on -one centers and that kind of thing. So, you know, I was looking around and I found a place after six years of training and um, I opened my first place and about, I was obviously following Charles Poliquin, you know, in college and before that, but this is like 1990. 1996, I went out to Colorado Springs. He had a, uh, he was in the basement of, of, which is now T Nation, just a website. But at the time, T Nation uh, had a, ma a magazine and they would uh, publish a, a monthly magazine and um, Muscle Media 2000 would release these uh, cassette tapes. I'm, I'm dating myself. And they had like Dan Duchesne, um, you know, all sorts of gurus at the time on these, on these videotapes. And, um, so I heard about Charles and I went and did an internship with Colorado Springs and I was first exposed to training Olympic athletes. Uh, Tara Knott was at the, uh, she was the last a woman to win, win a, a medal in the Olymp and weightlifting for USA. Um, she was in Colorado Springs. I got to see her train and then Charles had all these hockey players come in. So um, I went and did that. Uh, then the following year, um, he called me and asked me if I wanted to work with him. And so basically I opened my gym and it was a sacrifice to make to go move out there um, for four, to go to Arizona for four months and sort of train NFL and NHL guys for him. And I did that for three summers until the point where, you know, I was able to kind of get my foot in the door with some athletes and, and, and get going on my own. Cool, mate. Happy days. And I mean, your first facility, was that the one It kind of looked like a, a garage? Yeah, so uh, the Players' Tribune actually did a really nice video, really cool video on it. It was a, It's a garage. It was an old, uh, uh, it was like 1,800 square feet. Uh, and I, like I said, I opened that in, uh, it was 1999, but 2000 official opening. And um, I was there for 16 years. And we banged out. You know, Stanley Cup champions, Calder champions. We had 
three people there in the Olympics, London Olympics. Um, and we, we would have in that little square foot place, we would have, you know, 15, 25 people at a time. We had wheel equipment out of the gym to put outside. And, you know, we would, that's the, you know, Louis Simmons, when he first came out with a prowler, I had the first like white little prowler and we started doing that and wheelbarrows and we started having a modified strongman day. And, you know, we joke around that today the guys in the gym with the turf and the air conditioning are, it's a lot easier than pushing on pavement. That's for sure. <laughs> well, mate, and let me say, I'm not sure if anyone that's listening can get some gold photos of your new place, but that place you have right now, me and Mike said, that's the sickest gym we've ever seen, mate. I appreciate really. that. Really. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I, we should have put that into the intro. The nicest fucking private training facility I've ever been in, period. Well, that, it's know, pristine, bro. <laughs> I tell I people about it all the time. Well, and that means a lot to, you know, for me, obviously it's something that, I do as well, and I take passion in. So, you know, for somebody like yourself and you guys, when you come see it, to me, that's more important than, you know, showing it to, you know, a magazine or, or wants to award it, a, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't care about that. I care more about the athletes, the agents, the GMs, and like-minded coaches that come in. So, you know, yeah, 20 years or 20, sorry, 25 years of having a passion about equipment and, and whatever, you know, it's, uh, and then obviously the jerseys that came along, but, you know, 70 plus jerseys took me 26 years. You know, Ryan Shannon was one of the first ones. And, you know, it took, you know, we have a rule, I'm sure like most places, you, you have to play, you know, a minimum, you have to train with us for a full off season. And, and if you then play a professional game in whatever sport you're in or Olympics or whatever, you know, your jersey goes up, which is a big deal. But thank you. Dude, yeah, that, it's, it's, it's a sight to see. It really is. But your old gym, let's hop back to that old gym. You yeah. said it was – I saw, I saw it. It looked like it was like an abandoned gas station that you ended up taking over or something, <laughs> right? So, so what happened was, you know, again, this is – I'm, I'm like trying to do box jumps. This is, you know, 1998. I'm doing a world gym when guys are like doing, you know, preacher curls. I'm not preacher curls. like concentration curls. And I'm like trying to do box jumps with a high school kid. And then people are looking at me like I'm crazy. And, you know, at that time, like I said, Paul Check just kind of came. He didn't invent the Swiss ball, but, you know, he brought the Swiss ball to North America. And, you know, so I was right uh, carrying my Swiss ball in the gym and, and doing stupid shit on there that, you know, I probably shouldn't have at the time. But <laughs> um, so point being, you know, I, I was like, all right, I got to get out of here. And what – you know, I'm, I'm a strength coach, an athlete. I, I, I don't know much about business per se. I don't know anything. So I'm just going to go to the richest town and try to find a, a, a gym, right? So I'm driving around and, and I found this perfect spot, it, but it wasn't in a, in a, it was in a neighborhood. So that was the other thing that was weird. It was like, if you drive by the gym, it was a gas station in a neighborhood. So there's like beautiful houses behind it. And, you know, it was like the suburb. And so so anyway, the, I called the guy up and it's literally an, an old man, you know, he's not with us any longer, super like nice guy. And he said, no, I'm sorry. I uh, just rented it out to a yoga studio. And I'm like, oh man, that would have been a perfect spot for me. Um, and then he, I said, well, all right, well, let me know. So anyway, he calls me back like a week later and she couldn't make the down payment. So 
she, he's like, you can make the first and last months you're in. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm 25 at this time. I have no clue what I'm doing. So I get a silent partner. I put up the money. Again, at this time, you can't buy equipment on your own. So I lease all the equipment, which they don't even think they do that anymore. I lease all the equipment. And again, I'm like, I, I don't understand all of performance at this point. I'm basically going on what most people did, right? So it's like bodybuilding. So I'm buying like flex equipment, hammer strength equipment, like all this shit that, you know, quickly. The gym, when I first opened it, the, literally the only, I have like one piece of equipment from, from that time and everything else I like sold off and, you know, changed with the times. But yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh, it had wood floors, it had wood floating floors. So we literally probably, I don't know, six, seven times weights went through the floor. <laughs> we we um, went through two floods, two of the two hurricanes. We flooded the gym. We had a fire. Um, we, had, <laughs> we had numerous people like go to the – we had like three or four people in an ambulance go out. I mean, it, it was a crazy time back then with, with shit that like – I mean, we had random, like, Fabio was there. Like, we had, like, random people come by. And word just started, like, coming by that there was, like, little gym. You know, at the time, again, there was nothing like it in terms of – but nobody heard about it just because, you know, me, that wasn't my thing. And I, I – my whole thing was always, like, you know, maybe I did it the hard way, especially with the, the new generation of social media. But I was, like, I'm just going to earn everybody by word of mouth from each athlete sort of – either taking their shirt off in the locker room and then they're seeing like, holy shit, which happens still, or more like performance on the ice kind of getting it rather than, you know, through agents or whatnot. The agents and the general managers referring people kind of came, you know, 10, 12 years down the line of me just banging it out. I mean, I would do 75, 80 hour legitimate weeks where I would train like 55 sessions a week and then, you know, managing the gym. And, you know, I started with one coach. And again, nobody understood this. They would walk in and go, hey, I want to work out in your gym. This looks cool. I'm like, no, you need an appointment. It's one-on-one. -on -one. They're like, oh, that's never going to work. I want, you know, they're telling me that's not going to survive. You can't do one-on-one -on -one training. And I'm like, all right, well, thanks. We'll see what happens. So, you know, and then I started hiring coach after coach. And then at the very end, we would have like, four or five interns a summer. We started sending guys to get college jobs. And the last summer we had 11 coaches um, training 40 hours a week, 40 sessions a week in that little 2,000 square foot place. I mean, you're literally stepping over guys and like we're bringing shit in out. I rented a pod. We would bring a yoke outside, use it as a squat stand, you know, you name it. We would, we would just you know, but I was like, look, I'm not going to a bigger facility until I am bursting at the seams until I legitimately have to. Because, again, when we started getting busier, you would see all these cool-looking brand-new gyms and huge turf and this and that. But you know what? None of them were making any money. And even to this day, you see a lot of cool-looking gyms, but they're empty or, you know – they're not making money. So I get it. It has to be a passion too, but you know, we all like to make a living. Yeah. So, so that, that's, that's one thing that I've always said from, from day one of opening my gym, I was originally in a thousand square feet, my, my first spot. And I, I think it cost me like a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. And I was within another facility and it was this tiny little thing. And then I ended up having to create a running lane. So I ended up getting like 1500 square feet and 
if I could still be there, I would. People said, hey, when are you going to expand? You guys are packed. I said, absolutely not. I'm not expanding until it's costing me money not to expand. That's the only, and then the, the place went under. I ended up having, I got in an argument with the landlord. I had to find a new place. And now I'm, in, now I'm in a spot right now that's only 2,800 square feet. And I have an entire running lane that's like 170 feet long, which is phenomenal. But I'm not leaving here until they kick me out. Yeah. I mean, what else? Do you, like, I literally used to have dreams at night being like in my old place because I was I'm, literally dreams where I would like, I thought there was a, in my dream, it would be a magical door and I would open up and I'm like, man, I have all this extra room. I didn't even know it. And I would have that like reoccurring dream because I was so limited by my space, but it got to that point. And then I finally, you know, now we have 12,000 square feet, 40 yards of turf, you know, Kairos, all this stuff. But it, you know, they, the old adage goes, you know, a lot of people, do you, do you only need a barbell and a dumbbell and, and be smart to train athletes? 1,000%. But with that being said, after training the same athlete for 11 off-seasons, it's nice to give them a little variety once in a while to, to bang their head with, you know, the limited things. And so to me, yes, you can survive, but, you know, also it's perception, right? Like you want to start pulling people it's one thing to, to, to be the best gym on your block, but it's another thing when you have people moving there from not only out of state, from another country to train with you. And we would have that happen. So that to then all of a sudden be in this little garage when they're like moving from another country to train, you know, yes, it had its energy and its feel and it's cool to, we had, you know, again, it's stupid now, but at the time we had like, we would take pictures and we had like 55 pictures of guys puking. It was like the puke wall. Right? <laughs> you have guys puking on the bushes. But then it, right now it sounds stupid, but at the time it was like, oh, hey, so-and-so's puking. Go get your camera. And, you know, but, you, you know, again, it's a di I think to me it's a matter of capturing the energy and the special. And this goes to teams, you know, businesses. Nothing lasts forever. So, you know, 16 years where we were this little gym and, you know, Players Tribune and, and um, eight athletes quarterly came and, we, you know, we had some really nice attention on that gym because of what it was. And everyone liked to say this gritty gas station and yada, yada. But, you know, I frankly like what we have better. But, you know, it's a different – it's different. You know, it's not supposed to be the same thing. I'm not trying to capture the same energy. Um, you know, and we're, we're defining our own energy with this new gym, so. I, I now I, I love the new gym. I can't imagine with, you know, the, the very little that I know about you, but from what I've seen at your gym, I can't imagine that 800 square foot gas station being gritty. Uh, from, from what, from what I've, I've talked to about you, like that, that little spot, I bet looked like a fucking Mecca. I bet well, it looked sick. I'll send you, I'll send you some pictures. I mean, we had, in that little spot, so, you know, it was a gas station, right? So the gas station part, uh, and then there's like the front desk part. So the gas station part, we had five racks, two platforms, two glued hams, a 45 degree back, a runner, uh, like, I, I think it was like 12 yards of turf is all we could fit in there. So a prowler that you just kind of push back and forth. Um, and that's it. And then, like, pictures of it. If you look at the old at the Instagram that we have, you'll see, like, we do throwback. And, like,
Like we'd hang all the bars on the, this was before they made like those cool weightlifting, you know, that everybody has now for the bars that they hang on the wall. We would hang everything on the wall, get everything off the floor. Um, you know, so it, it, it was definitely, but outside was, you know, sort of the gritty where, you know, you're pushing a prowler in some 95 degree heat and humidity and, you know, cars are driving, like all the housewives will always say, oh, we like that gym in uh, Darien because we see all the guys with their shirts off outside. And you know, <laughs> so it, it became a, you know, people driving by and, and it, it was cool. But, you know, again, to have, I think about, I say to my guys now, I'm like, look, you know, 16 years ago, we didn't have 1080 motion. We didn't have force plates. We didn't have timing gates. We didn't have all this technology, but we somehow still produced, you know, champions and all-stars and, and national champions in college and people went to the Olympics and we didn't do half that stuff. Now, I'm not saying, you know, obviously times change and you grow, but the point is I think, you know, people get so obsessed with trying to create something new that sometimes you lose your coaching ability on what you're doing. And I'm, I'm just to blame with that because I'm constantly, like I'm sure you are or anybody, giving your athlete the best and you're searching for the best. And sometimes you pass what you have, go digging for something and it's not there and you lose of what you have. So, you know, it, it's a good thing for myself, even though we use all of that now and, and because we have to report to different general managers and, and coaches and give them data, but, you know, to me, that's the number one problem with young coaches. And I know I sound old, but I'm, is that they are so obsessed with technology and, and data, but nobody knows how to coach. Nobody's trained anybody. So, you know, you're getting all these kids out of school that want to quote Verkashamsky or they want to talk about the strength speed continuum but yet they literally cannot coach somebody for one session. And, and, that's a, and I see it for the past 15 years, I've had interns come in and I see it all off season. And the other thing is a lot of these people, you know, I draw the analogy of like in football, right? How many offensive coordinators are unbelievable offensive coordinators, but are terrible head coaches and they're great offensive coordinators or Look at your car dealership. Your best salesman on the floor might not be your best manager. And it's the same thing. You're these smart, you know, science-y that want to, like, you talk about all of the, you know, again, the force velocity profile. But when it comes to coaching a squad or a split squad, whatever, they can't do it. And it happens all day long. And, and the other thing is in these internships or, I'm sorry, in these certifications, nobody talks about that kind of thing. It's all exercises or program design, which obviously is important, but no one talks about the, you know, for lack of a better word, art of coaching. Sure. And I mean, Ben, one of the things I remember when we met, you were mentioning about how you were working even on Christmas days for years and years and years. So you've, you've churned the hours out. Over the years, I mean, you mentioned Paula Quinn. Were there other guys that you went out and branched out to learn from, or are you kind of running your own unique thing that you've built up through all the years through pattern recognition? Yeah, you, you know, that is another, I, I hate to point all the, but I think one of the things is nowadays, you know, like, you know, Mike would say, you know, in, 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 Mike's would say to you, oh, Booker's a great strength coach. But the reason he's saying that 
is because you're you are like-minded as him and you and you're no threat to him uh, and that's what goes on in this whole field is you have these like niches of strength coaches who are saying this guy's good or this guy's good and the only guys they're saying are good are the ones that are no threat to them and are agreeing with what they're saying and then if they don't agree with what they're saying they say this guy sucks or this guy doesn't suck which yeah. by the way people ask me all the time how do you like this guy i go i don't know how can any strength coach you because obviously an instagram post or you know even if a guy does a podcast you don't know what kind of coach i am until you come to my gym and you see me actually coach programs that I write. And then you can make – and if you've done that for three or four days, then you can say, Ben sucks. Or, you know, I like what he's saying. So long-winded to go back to your – what I encourage every intern that comes, and, you know, they'll all vouch for this, is I say, don't just listen to me. I've been in this too long. I, I don't have an ego anymore where I don't care if you think I'm the best. I'm here to make you better. So what I want you to do is not just listen to me, go out and listen to other people, go spend time in other people's gyms, and then make your decision. And then if you want to only listen to me or, you know, get your information from me, well, okay, then you've heard other different variations. Because guess what? I hate to burst every, you know, egomaniac strength coach out there, but don't get too carried away with yourself because at the end of the day, Especially if you're in team sports, there's so much that you, only, you can't even quantify what you're doing other than in-gym metrics. I mean, guys get so carried away with, I changed this guy's career, I did this. I mean, I mean, there's so many other factors that play into it that, you know, to me, to hand it down or to pay it forward is to, I learned from my mistakes. So in the beginning, basically, I learned from Charles. At the time, Paul Check was out there. And then there was, you know, um, uh, um, <laughs> oh, Donald Chu. Donald Chu was like the plyo guy at the time, you know. And then Louis came out, you know, with his – so his reverse hyper was first advertised in Charles's uh, Poliquin Principles because he would talk about uh, – he gave Milos Sarchev reverse hyper uh, extensions. So – you know, long, we could back up even further, but my father got me into this. So like my father was a mechanic who, you know, in 1973, we dr drove out to California and, you know, I, he put me in, uh, I was, in, I grew up basically in Gold's Gym in, in Venice, California with Dave Draper and Arnold Schwarzenegger because my father was a power lifter. So he moved from Connecticut, me and my mother, he put me in his, in the crib and we drove cross country so he could live in, in California and train. So, you know, I've been doing, so the long story short is the reverse hyper, my dad buys a reverse hyper. This isn't like, I don't know, it was like one of the very, and he had it in his garage. So we had a reverse hyper and, you know, at the time we're like, what the fuck do we do this thing? I mean, I don't, you know, this is like, this thing just hurts my hips. I don't know what I do with this, but yeah, it really says this is the best thing ever. So we just started messing around with it. And then I finally brought it to my gym, but we had a reverse hyper in like 1996 or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, so taking it back to the old, the old facility, when you first opened, what were your big, I mean, cause you were a kid when you opened up a gym. Like I, I didn't open my gym until I was already working for DeFranco for, I don't know, like six, seven years, something like that. And I, I had already see. Right. So yeah. I, I, there was a lot of shit that I learned not right. to do by, by, watching him you know yeah. what i mean what what were your big like 
oh shit moments when you first when you first started? Well, the the first one was, you know, I guess like everything. You know, you like I tell guys, you can't. I, I, I at the time I didn't go into it being like I hope in in 2020 I'm going to own a 12,000 square foot place and you know work for a pro team and do all this. Like I, I that didn't. It, it was more like let me survive the week, let me pay the bills, training people and wearing sweatpants to work. You know, like that kind of thing. And then it starts to become man, I got nine employees that have kids and they are relying on like, you know, to go through what we're going through now. And when we were shut down and I'm responsible for these people and their families. And so then it becomes real. So back then it was like, look, I know, you know, I'm an athlete. I love being an athlete. I love sports. I'm like every strength coach. I love working out, but you know, obviously that's different than being a coach and, you know, being a coach is different. So it was just get as many people in the door as I can and then let me sort of see what works and doesn't work. You know, I, I, like you, you work in one place, so you're going to take those ideas or what you don't believe in. So going back to what Alex said is, you know, when I was looking at all these people in the beginning, what I encourage people to do is go look at these guys. And then if you don't like them, you cross them off the list. And then you kind of narrow down your beliefs. And then once you get to that point, there has to be a time where you have to be stop being a professional student and get your get in the game. And so for me, it was like, go to all these seminars, go to all these different certifications, read all these books. But I learned the most by making mistakes in the gym. And, you know, then training with working for Charles, you know, Charles would write the programs and hand them to me and I, I trained them. And I would see there where I'm like, you know, man, this doesn't seem right to me. I would do it differently. But who am I? I'm a fucking peon. This is a guru. You know, maybe I must be wrong or whatever the case. And when you start to then see athletes get better and how they respond, you start to form your own opinions. And then, you know, you start to go down different rabbit holes to help you with that. So whether it's trying to get somebody better with plyos or speed or whatever the case may be, you start going down that avenue. So in the beginning, you know, you're training people one-on-one, -on -one, which you guys, training people one-on-one, -on -one, training teams and training for a team and training a team at your gym are all completely different. And you got to be able to, you know, not too many people have done all of the above, you know, like when I was, we can get to it, but you know, when I work for BU, you know, I'm in North Dakota in a hotel and we're playing Michigan. Oh, I'm sorry. We're in Michigan, but we went to North Dakota, same thing. And I got 27 dudes and I'm like, all right, get in your underwear. We're jumping in the pool and I'm going to potentiate you for a game in four hours. You know, that, that's a, where else do I learn that? You know, you, you don't learn that you figure that shit out. And then you're like, all right, this works or it doesn't work. So, and then when you take the team and then when a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, it's different energy in different ways. So, in the beginning, it was all one-on-one -on -one because that's the only thing I knew. I didn't know that there was sort of team training or small group training. So the hardest thing for me, I think, was I wrote the programs for every single person in there all day long, and I never let anybody else do it. So um, not only am I training 40 hours a week, but I'm training you, and I'm worried about in my corner, is this guy doing this right? Is this guy doing it? I'm like, hey, slow down, drop your knee, chest up. Put the bar this way. Hey, put that away. Clean that. Oh, and then I'm trying to coach my guy at the same time. 
And that would take away from my athlete and what I'm doing because I'm trying to, you know, being a great strength coach and running a business are not the same thing. So, you know, you have to master all of them. And again, nobody at the time is teaching me that. So when you were off on your own, did, were there any, like, when you first, when you first started, were there any like whoopsie daisies where, where, oh shit, like I got this guy, I thought he was a better coach than he was athlete dropped a bar or athlete did this what and then shit hit the fan from there i mean because it's I mean, life is never just one big success story after another right like okay. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of shit that goes that that hits the fan at some point yeah like i said i mentioned two fires i'm sorry one <laughs> fire two floods and you know over the course of 16 years i don't know how many but you know i probably fired a, you know i don't know in 16 years, I'd say 10, 12 people. And then we're fortunate enough that, you know, a, a nice story is one kid who came to me from, he got his uh, master's degree. He came to me. He worked for me for eight years. He became one of my head coaches. He went on. To, he's now a professor at a university teaching exercise science. And three of his students have come work for me. I guess it shows old again, but like, it's a nice, that, that's nice as well, you know, besides just sending coaches to teams. But, you know, so, you know, one of the problems that when you're young is that you're trying to be friends with everybody and you're trying to, like, have everybody like you. And whether it's hanging out with the guys outside of work, which blurs the line of, of boss to coach, or uh, when it comes time to, like, trusting somebody to write a program, and they're like, hey, we're buddies. You know, we hang out. We're going to do it this way. And like, no, no, it needs to be this way. So for me, learning lines of like, uh, learning like draw definitive lines when you hire somebody, you know, I, I, I learned also like, you know, I could care less about a certification. And back, you know, back then when I was not brainwashed, but I was a young kid, everything was like, well, do you have a certification? So, all right, you know, you have this certification all right, you, we'll hire you or we'll see how you can do. Where now, I, I don't care if you're a painter and you want to be a strength coach in my gym, if you intern for me for, you know, I don't know, I don't put a number on it, but, you know, six, eight months, chances are if you have any, basically if you can't make it at six to eight months of interning as a strength coach, then chances are you should probably pick a different profession. Um, and, and that's, you know, how we do it. So, that way you're going to learn the most. I mean, any strength coach will tell you, I don't know, you know, in college, you're not learning, you know, you're not learning what actually goes on in training high level athletes. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, you can do cadaver and learn the biology, which is all obviously important. But at the end of the day, you need to spend time in the gym, making mistakes and again, learning from them. Yeah. And I guess that's, absolutely crucial because at the beginning you weren't starting off training the superstars of the nhl and you had to get them mistakes done right otherwise your head would be on the blocks and nobody's given those two you know people come in and they help you know charles never gave me anybody you know and when it came to the point where he was moving more to certification and teaching you know it wasn't hey you can take this guy it was more like here's what it's going to cost for you to buy him off of me and to me, that's sort of how I've tried to do the, you know, the strength and conditioning, personal training, whatever you want to say, 
you know, these aren't the most moral, ethical people that come into the business. And there's constantly stealing clients, talking bad about people. And, you know, especially now with Instagram and Twitter and whatever, you don't know who's good and who isn't good. Like how easy, easy for you to go on your Instagram and say, I've trained Olympians. How, how many, well, how many Olympians are there in the world? Like yeah, how many people say they train Olympians? Like, no, you don't. You're lying. You don't train Olympians. But that happens all the time. And, you know, I, like I said, I had, I don't know how many people that have worked for me that it didn't work out and they've signed non-disclosure waivers and they went on and opened up their own gym right down the street from me. I mean, that's happened three times or they, you know, and my whole thing when I first started is like, I don't care about a non-disclosure because you know what? No one's better than the people that are working for me aren't better than me. They're not going to work harder than me. And if that client doesn't want to train with me, then go ahead and leave. And even though I have non-disclosures, you know, you could argue that they don't work. Uh, and I don't want a client to be with us if they don't think we're the very best. And so, you know, but that, those are things that you, you, you address. So in regards to training now, you said sometimes you, you kind of get lost in, in some of the tech and, you know, you, you, you don't almost like go back to the roots a little bit here and there. What, what are you doing now with your guys? You have the 1080 motion. You have your dumbbells. How does, how does your shit flow together? Yeah. Well, the past, I'd say, five years, we've sort of really dialed that in. And, you, you know, if you say make something simple, it, it that sounds to people that you're scared of, of, of being scientific. And if you say you're scientific, it makes it sound like you're scared of getting people strong. You know, the mentality in hockey, unfortunately, from trainers or strength coaches that don't know how to get people strong, they've brainwashed, especially elite players, to now think that it's not a good idea to be strong. And it's a dangerous thing in this sport where strength is not really held in a high regard in, in hockey strength and conditioning. Um, you know, they're going around, whatever the case. But so... For me, how do I balance it as well? We use the 1080 one for testing to kind of, you know, I constantly say to my director, I'm like, how do we know this is actually making them a better athlete? And I, when, when he shows me somebody doing some exercise on Instagram, I'm like, look, this is just made up shit that looks cool that this guy has no clue whether it's helping them or not. And that happens all the time. So we have to catch ourselves and be like, well, wait, is this making them, you know, faster on the ice, be able to, you know, is this increasing anaerobic alactic capacity? Is this making them more flexible? Whatever the case, we have to ask ourselves that. So at least with the 1080, we're quantifying things. And, and with the, it's telling us bilateral discrepancies. It's giving us, we're using it a lot on, you know, on muscle contraction training we're using it on a lot of isokinetic slash isometric work, which has been, there's really nothing that I know of that can give us that. So for isokinetic work, it's been game changing. Um, for being able to overload eccentric. So be, if you can change the, so it can go two to one ratio. So you can do a two to one strength curve. These things that you can do on the fly, but to balance that out, we haven't gotten away from, you know, I think it's happened to us. We've gone like, you know what? I forgot to use this exercise for like three off seasons. And why, why did I, for, why, why did I do that? And you know, you only have typically what, three months at, at the most. And you're like, 
man, I just, for, you know, because I got carried away or whatever, and I decided to use this one instead of this one. We also found that when we keep it to all the exercises that we think help them, it's easier for us now to collect more data and to quantify it even more. So if you say to me, if you came into your gym and you're like, um, you know, isokinetic lateral push-off sucks, that doesn't work. I go, yeah, you're wrong. Uh, I know it does because I've been doing this for six years. I have the data, you know, such and such that does this. I also have his on ice performance and here's how it transfers. So if I have an answer, you know, then I'm able to, I, if I have the data, I have an answer for you. But if, if I'm doing some crazy shit that makes, that just looks cool. And you say to me, well, Ben, uh, you know, how does that make them a better hockey player? I'm like, I don't know. It just looks good. I mean, you're doing yourself a disservice, but how many high level people do you, that happens all the time. So, so are you, I know you, you kind of split your workouts up into specific phases, right? Like you will have an isometric phase. Where no. Guys will so what we do is sort of a concurrent where you have a different muscle contraction every day. Okay. And we've done that for five, four or five years now. I, I used to do not a conjugate, but upper, what I did was call it upper, lower, and then upper, lower dynamic. So we had four workouts a week. So it wasn't maximal effort, but on those first two days, it would be waves or clusters or, you know, something strength. And then the other two days would be when we get going concentric oriented dynamic work. What I found was, you know, through reading and through trying things out, one, I found it's not necessary to absolutely fucking destroy these guys every single workout. And, you know, when I was younger and they liked it, right? So it's feeding the ego, especially high, like you just kick the shit out of them and you think that's working harder or they're getting better because you're kicking the shit out of them. And what happens is what we were seeing is they weren't able to transfer as, you know, yes, it still worked, but to me, they weren't able to transfer to sport as well. So you know, because again, hockey's a little bit different than other sports in that you can't just like, you, you know, you can't just go shoot hoops every day. You can't just get on the ice every single day and not have it affect. So when guys start skating more, we see it all the time. Their in-gym numbers go in the tank. Vertical mm -hmm. jump on the force plate, whether it's, you know, we deem uh, propulsion, rate of propulsion, eccentric rate. All of these things go down. Eccentric rate of force, um, just their jump height, their sprint time, it all goes down because they're skating more. And skating, whether it's neurally or fatigue from their leg, it goes down. So by, ch by changing muscle contractions, I'm able to manipulate when they're skating through their schedule. So in the beginning, we're emphasizing an eccentric. So if you're in the beginning, everyone wants to emphasize the most important thing, eccentric. So Monday's eccentric. Then Friday would be speed or plyo or concentric. But when they start getting closer to, to season, we reverse it, right? Because eccentric, you know, they're strong enough or we don't want that eccentric component. So now all of a sudden speed becomes the idea. So the velocity stuff is on Monday. Now, what we're also seeing, which we change with people, is 
we've found that, all right, nobody wants to train on the weekends. You know, I, I, Charles used to say all the time, professional athletes, blah, blah, blah. it doesn't matter whether it's family, kids, they don't want to do it. And yeah, you could force them to do it. But so the template we use Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is our mobility, flexibility, stretch day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when needed is an aerobic work and or more, more mobility. And then Saturday and Sunday, and then Saturday when that gets taken off closer to the season, Saturday and Sunday become off. So what happens? They go play 36 holes of golf on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday, and then they come in on Monday and we test them and they're shit. Yeah. They're tired and fatigued. And what are you gonna, so we're like, all right, now we can't have eccentric on Monday because these guys are fatigued. So what's better? We move ISO. ISO all of a sudden potentiates. So then we switch it around. And so, and then in those different muscle contractions, we will do periodization where you can still increase accumulation and intensification. You know, I came from a, a, an older school when I was younger through Charles, where Charles trained people much like bodybuilders. Now, you know, people that want to, aren't a Charles Poliquin fan can bash them all you want. But at the end of the day, as we all know, if you're going to fail and only do one thing good, it should be strength. Because if you get them stronger, if that's the only thing you're going to do, you're still going to be better off than most people. I mean, David Boston, you know, he read, he was, one of, he, I forgot his contract, but when we trained him, he was leading the NFL in, uh, as a wide receiver in yards. And he ran like, I think, I don't know exactly. So, but I believe he ran a four two something at 250 pounds as a wide receiver. So he, and did I do, I didn't write the programs for him. Charles was in charge of everything. I was the kid, but I put him through the workouts. Zero plyometrics, zero Olympic weightlifting. He had his own running guy who's in Arizona now. All I did, chest back, shoulders, arms, legs, two on, one off. And so I'm not saying that's the way to do things. I don't do it that way. But my point being, the guy got super, super, super strong. And he was able to transfer it. So, you know, I realized to me that's not the way to do it over years and years of, of doing it. And then I switched to more of a conjugate. And then, you know, this system has really sort of, one, because, again, we're able to quantify it easier. And two, I, at off-season, I like full bodies now more than splits. I also like it more when we get to preseason, and then I also like it in season when I'm able to change it up again um, with teams. Because so we, you know, last year I had four high school teams where I would go to the schools and we would have up to 27 kids in a weight room with just me or one of my coaches, and we would go. And we're you know that's in season. So all of a sudden, you know, again in hockey. You got to remember some of these junior teams, like a U15, could play 70 games in a course of six months. So, again, it's about sort of keeping track of all of this and understanding, again, hey, this is a competitive field. I'm going to kick the shit out of these guys because that's the only way I'm going to like them. Well, guess what? They're played five games in two days, and that's not what they need. So it's about giving them what's going to make them better instead of soothing your ego. You know, because it's not flashy to do diaphragmatic breathing or, 
mobility or hip work or whatever, aerobic recovery is not sexy. You know, pushing the prowler till you puke is. And I think if you take the younger kids, which we have up from 12 years old, and then you educate them younger, then they understand and they're good with that, right? So. So, so when you have your Mondays as your high velocity day or your, your dynamic day, uh, you preface it occasionally with an off day. Um, yeah. So, so on Sunday, so Monday's your, your dynamic day, Sunday's your off day. Some, you, some, yeah, sometimes. So, so I used to do that a lot. And do you know, you know, Dan Paff is? Yes. So, so Paff, Paff had uh, given a lecture on this saying that you don't want to preface, and Charlie Francis said this shit too, you don't want to preface a high intensity day with an off day. You want to preface it with a low day. So on my Sundays now, if I know that Monday is going to be something, I have the guys do low intensity aerobic work, something, right. they go through the warm up or anything. Have you... And, and they respond, they seem to be, they seem to respond better. I don't have anything quantifying other than what I see, just the data, you know what I mean? So have you, have you toyed with anything like that? A hundred percent. We've tried it all. And, and, and all due respect, you know, I'm in the real world and I'm in the, the, the battlegrounds and some of the shit that, you know, would, would obviously, would I do it? What I want to do ideally sometimes, and I'm dealing with hockey players, which again, are not the most explosive high high velocity guys so uh yes we've toyed that's why we also toyed with the idea of hey let's do an isometric day which will potentiate the high velocity day so we would do iso on monday and then our high velocity stuff on tuesday now you know i've also spoken to i've spoken to christian thibodeau who i respect is a super smart guy and i've seen him do with Olympic athletes do plyometric like high velocity stuff after eccentric and you know to me that didn't resonate I was like man I mean these guys aren't gonna be able to walk after eccentric you any time but again I, I I think it's knowing your athletes and and trying different things the the other thing that you said like well how do we quantify these guys on Monday is you know the questionnaires which a lot of people do we do the questionnaires but to me yeah the kids First of all, I always say to my guys, we keep doing it, but the only time you're looking at it really is in real time. We, we very rarely are going to go back and look at 155 questionnaires and make a change. So, you know, we also mess with grip. Grip seems to be a good measure of fatigue, so we've done that. But, you know, between the force plate and a 10-yard sprint usually helps us. But the problem is we see it every Monday that I guess to what he's saying is that on Monday, typically guys are not breaking their fastest times, you know, and it, whether it's I, the two off days aren't really off days. And that's the thing that I'm getting at because they're not purely, even a high level athlete is either playing golf. He's dealing with the stressors of his kids. Um, the other thing to take into account is we're not in a linear sport, you know, a team change of direction sport is completely, you know, I've seen some of Charlie Francis. I've obviously read his books. I've done this stuff. I trained athletes that have trained with Charlie Francis, team sport athletes. And to me, 
you know, there's just a big difference in the way you train somebody when all – like I have two, two girls that are training for the next Winter Olympics in skeleton. And the way you train those people as opposed to a team sport, it's, it's not even in the same stratosphere. So whether or not to de-emphasize or emphasize in what's in an ideal situation, I agree. But sometimes, you know, it's sort of like the whole don't have this guy static stretch or foam roller because it's going to put him parasympathetic before he works out. I mean, to me – if he wants to foam roller his IT band for five minutes before he lifts, it's, it's not going to take away X amount of pounds on his squat or his split squat or whatever the case may be. So to me, it's, you know what, also, hey, maybe you're an absolute nut job and you need to get a little parasympathetic to calm down before you lift. So maybe a little mm -hmm. foam rolling will help you out. So, you know, let them do it. And, and so for us, yes, we change those days depending, but in general, we, we've always – put the eccentric first and then that stuff in the last. But as we switch, when they come off it, we've seen to have good results. Yeah. And you mentioned that you periodize these, these, these themed days. Are you running that based off of like a, a testing day and then you're sort of giving percentage of rep maxes or are you doing sort of more auto-regulated work where each day you're, you're collecting data like that, or are you basing it off of like a, the, the tests, you mean the, the, the 10 oh, yard? You mean the block? Yeah. Through well, the block. So, we, so say for eccentric, ISO, are you, yeah, are you, so are you planning that block. four weeks up? So, yeah, so the accumulation block would typically be, you know, in your word, like a, in the very beginning, it's still like structural. So you're mm -hmm. looking at an eccentric split squat or an external rotation. On your concentric day, you're looking at aerobic work or you know st stuff that's going to help create aerobic capacity we're not doing plyo in the very beginning and we don't do plyo mm -hmm. with a lot of people depending you know i i'm a big fan of saying most guys are too weak to do plyos uh, so especially a 15 year old kid so mm -hmm. whether it's starting with altitude landings and working their way up it, it depends you know we my director and uh, and i write all the programs and we spend a lot of time you know, looking at what are we going to do for each individual and when we change it. And then as we move on, okay, here we're going to do plyo. So let's start with, you know, whatever, box jump. And then as they progress into blocks, the next plyo block could be penta jumps. And then the next one could be Russian boxes. So you're still progressing phase to phase. But within the block, it'll change week to week in just in terms of, We'll do it different ways. Like, for instance, if we're doing a front squat uh, on Monday, you know, we'll start with, say, a nine-second eccentric, and we'll either each week take a uh, second off or we could add a second in each week. So this way, loading isn't always the key. The RPE is and the time under tension is. Mm -hmm. So – we're writing everything down on sheets and charts and all the coaches are tracking everything. But in general, that's kind of the way we do it. And then weekly, we're testing 10-yard sprint, um, vertical jump on the force plates with different metrics. And then uh, depending on the phase, we're doing body fat, broad jump, um, 1080 lateral push to see force. Um, and uh, what else? we'll do a split squat mid thigh isometric pull. Mm -hmm. How much do you, I mean, my experience has been 
I come from more of the rugby background. So linear movement is very different than hockey guys. And I always like to joke and say a lot of hockey guys walk like a pregnant duck. You know what I mean? Just their body is just completely uh, adapted to what they're doing. How much do you, I mean, I know what you're saying about plyometrics. And I find that some of these guys, their landing mechanics, it just looks like it's a, a recipe for disaster. How much do you focus on trying to fix some of these sort of discrepancies or disbalances? Because they're all standing cockeyed, you know. Are you, are you playing around with that or do you let the body sort of do what it's got to do? That's one thing that we, you know, so as Mike was saying, that's one thing that I constantly go back and forth with. You know, early on in my career, we did like zero mobility and guys didn't get hurt and guys got stronger um, zero conditioning where you let the practice or the skill of the sport condition them. Mm. Um, but, and then we start to learn more about FRC and all of these different RPIs and all these different things. And you start to then get carried away with that. And then you lose sight of another thing and then you have to regain. So to me, unless you're, so the answer is we, we do, we try to incorporate these things depending on how bad. So for us, the biggest thing that we see, um, you know, obviously these guys can't run. So we figured that out there. I mean, people don't know, but no jokes aside, like people, you cannot get these. So that's why we keep it at 10 yards. Anything over than that, I'm telling you, and I've seen it for 20 years, they cannot run. I've seen, mm -hmm. And if you have them try to get any faster than that, they're going to hamstring, bang. Because I used to, when, when I was younger, I would say, all right, we're going to do hundreds. I'm like, so three hamstrings later, I'm like, that's it for that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And we cut it down, cut it down. And we just started messing around and seeing for years, the 10, the 10 yards seems, so we start to test them on the ice. And then we start to see, Okay, yeah, the guy that jumps the highest, has the furthest broad jump, is the fastest or is in the 1-2% and is the fastest on the ice. So us as a strength coach, does that mean I'm making him a great hockey player? No, but that's all I can do. I mean, then his skill acquisition is up to him and his skills coach. Like, if you're going to take a wide receiver in football and you're going to have him do all the same things I just said, but if he can't catch the ball, that's not your fault as a strength coach. You know, that becomes something different. And that's why I'm saying, you know, we do what we do and we measure what we can measure. So with flexibility, we found that the foot and the ankle is a big, big, big issue. Like if you look at any hockey player, the, the problem is a 16-year-old hockey player today has done nothing his whole life other than play hockey. They're not athletes anymore. They'll like to tell you they are. But to get to that level, since they're five years old, the only thing they've done is skate. You know, where guys my age and younger, they played lacrosse, they played football. They didn't play football because they'd be the same season. Or no, football, baseball, whatever have you when they're younger. And then they specialize in hockey. But now they, continue, they play hockey and hockey only and year-round. They don't get out of the skates. So these overuse patterns happen. And the lack of dorsiflexion, the medial malleola is like something you haven't seen. It's like, uh, you know, the, it's like a hockey, it's like a hockey like malleola. A, yeah, it's like a callus. Yeah, it's like a ball that just comes out. The heel spur, basically, from the skates. So, and they have no arch in their foot. Most of them are really flat-footed. 
So without getting into all of the posturology, which again, early on, I got carried away with that and I'm doing all this posturology style stuff. And, you know, again, I really couldn't quantify it. So, you know, you can quantify it with a muscle test, but there's a muscle test going to, I don't know. So we stopped doing that. What we just did was, you know, I, a long time ago, we got into barefoot training. I mean, what does it quantify? Well, I've seen guys arch, you know, I'm talking pancaked arch on the floor. And, you know, without getting into orthotics or these things, do all of a sudden they have a high arch? No. But the point is they were able to manipulate their toes, manipulate their feet better to able to get more dorsiflexion. Um, and we quantify that simply with a pass-fail five-inch uh, five calf test. We used to use different methods, but that seems to be the easiest. And the point is we tried grasping, like all this soft tissue stuff works, but it works instantaneous. So like to get somebody to squat, you know, they either have a, a huge arch where then they can't get their knee over their toe because they, they, the limiting factor is the calf, or they're pancaked, which makes them go valgus. So it's one or the other typically. So that's the big thing. And then, you know, everyone talks about the adductor to abductor ratio, which is real, but you know, we have our ways of phase by phase, which we talked about using the contractions to train the, you know, to me, it's more like the abductors. And I think in hockey, people spend way too much time. They're strong enough. And it's really the adductors that are either weak or, you know, too tight. It's one or the other. It's not always both. One, you know, that's why you have to test it in that some, we find that it's usually not weak, it's usually tight. And it's, we look at the imbalances. So the deficiency of the two, when we see like, if there's like a 8% difference, then, you know, we have an issue there. You know, to me, it's like, if you're super strong in one leg, that's worse than being kind of weak in both. You know, you're better off being weak in both, and then I can work on that a lot easier than if you're really, really strong in one limb and really, really weak in the other, when you need them both, I'm telling you like tennis or something. Like in hockey, you'll typically see, so when we were testing, we would always see, so if you're gonna do a true test, right? Like let's say we're gonna do an isometric split squat mid-thigh test. Ideally, you want like six minutes rest in between limbs. And we were finding huge discrepancies in the limbs. And so we're like all freaking out, like, oh man, we're gonna really have to get after this. There's really a discrepancy with the two. So now it's like, you know, this doesn't seem right. I would look them at skate, we'd film them skating, we'd time them skating. So we just started switching with something that's so neurological, like an isokinetic uh, push-off or a split squat, that if you switch the limbs all of a sudden, then that became less of an issue. So, you know, the, obviously people just start with their weaker limb, but it's, that's not my point. The point is when there's something that's such a nervous system driven exercise that when you need to really give yourself a long, 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 like boring, your athletes looking at you ready to go time if you want something accurate. Otherwise, don't get so carried away with, you know, one leg's 327 and the other one's 200 because well, that would be a lot. So like 
327 in one limb and 280 in another would be a red flag. But then when we switch them, all of a sudden it becomes less. Or if you're looking at the angle of the wedge that you're pushing off of makes a difference because it's how they're used to getting their angle on the skate. So when we change the angles and how they push, their scores are different because they're used to pushing off of one limb differently than the other. So all of a sudden, if you're constantly starting on this right where they always drive like this, then you're testing it on a different wedge angle, the scores become different. So again, we would never know that unless you just try different ways. Aerodactors seem to be such a, a sensitive topic for hockey guys because I've found the same. I mean, especially if you take their adductors out to, the, to their natural full range, they're so weak there. I mean, if you're getting them to put any sort of isometric force in, they're so scared of that too because that's obviously, you know, not just connected to their balls, you know what I mean? But in general for their, for their performance state. I also found that <clears throat> their hamstrings are just terribly weak and they end up using these adductors over and over and over again for, for, for basic things such as, I mean, especially they love to play football, uh, soccer and stuff like this. And I mean, where their, 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 their pattern stride is always out to this lateral, lateral they're, they're really missing, especially these outside hamstrings. At least that's been my experience. When you start to, to get them working again, it seems to relieve some of the pressure going off in, into the adductors. Do you understand what I mean? Hell yeah, I mean, a thousand percent. One of the things, and I'm, I'm glad they don't, is most strength coaches that train hockey players seem to think that the posterior chain is not important. Yeah. And, if, and if you look at the way they skate and when they fatigue, when they're changing shifts, it's not their, the lactic acid of their quads, which it does happen, but typically it's fatigue in the lower back. Why? Mm -hmm. Because when you're skating, you're isometrically contracting your lower back all the time. Now, let's train the piss out of the posterior chain, which we've done. People come to us and they're like, you spend so much time on hamstring. Well, you don't use hamstrings when you skate. Well, that's bullshit too. You do, but not as obviously a quad driver. But you do. Try stopping or crossing over anytime without feeling your hamstrings. Yeah. So you do use your hamstrings. And semi like, so changing foot positions in a glute ham or reverse hyper, a back extension, single leg to bilateral makes a difference. The, the, what the problem is, they're so ingrained, like you said, with their groin, but also they think that if all of a sudden you get lactic acid in their lower back, they're always like, oh, my lower back, my lower back. No, dude, you're fine. You don't complain when you have lactic acid in your bicep. But somehow when it's in your lower back, you think this is a bad thing. So, you know, conditioning them with whether it's the reverse hyper or 45-degree back extensions or I don't like pull-through. I like sled pull-throughs, low pulley pull-throughs. I don't like, you know, whatever. So the point being, posterior chain work is some – and the stronger the posterior chain, you know, I remember talking to Mark Lindsay, who's a very, very high-regarded – uh, one of the highest in terms of ART practitioners. And he was like, look, you want hernia prevention? Train the posterior, uh, posterior chain. Glutes and lower back um, to, to prevent, and, the, and lower abdominal. So gar hammer raises, things like that, and posterior chain. Um, because they tie in. So in phases, going from closed chain to open chain, 
the isometric to eccentric training the and then going high force i'm sorry high velocity on the adductors as well but to me again i think also if you break it down the it's not you get we i myself get carried away with the lateral push-up but you don't skate that way anyway yeah. and that's why i'm not a fan of slide boards is that you don't skate side to side you know yeah you can use a slide board in the very beginning when they're not skating and being in a time where they're non-specific but as they're getting close to a specific sport why are you trying to mimic the same thing that they're already doing and in a way that they're actually not doing you know that's not how they skate if you break down uh what we call an oscillatory or propulsion in skating that first the way they skate it's essentially eight strides and they're pretty much almost at top speed of the propulsion. Now that, if you slow it down, slow motion on skating with running, it's very, I didn't used to think it was the same thing, but the first 10 yards is very, very similar, the way they sprint and the way they skate. And that's something that when I, younger, when I was younger, I, I didn't believe in or didn't do, but I've seen it over and over again with what we've done through research and then obviously through our own, that when you videotape it and you slow it down, especially the faster skaters, they're less stride like this and more chopping, running, oscillatory like that. Yeah. And then typically, if you have them, you know, and then they start running and they literally run. If you get a guy who, who a hockey player who hasn't run at all and you start doing, they, they run, this is them running full speed. They don't even use their arms. They're like running like this with their legs moving and they don't even move their arms. They have no idea or it's this. And to me, it's a wasting of coaching economy to like spend hours and hours and hours that you might need to do with a running athlete. It's a waste of time. And I'm, I'm, it, 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 you have so many other things to do that if you keep it short and sweet with a few cues, we've seen guys get faster and faster and they can get faster just with 10 yards from their weight room work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask how much running you're actually doing with your guys. And then, and then you said the adductors are typically tight. And my question is, why do you think that is, do you, do you think it's just constant? I mean, they've been training the adductors eccentrically for the most part for forever. Right, and, and they've been jealous of, of stretching them. Uh, yes, and and they've been training their abductors concentrically, forever, forever. But and then off ice, even more so. Yes, and the, and their and their abductors less, or when they do, it's typically, you know, Copenhagen's have become so so popular. Um, but it's typically not to get them strong or not specific. So in different planes of motion. So to me, training the adductors in the same eccentric motion, because you're right in that they're, and it, it, to me, it comes down to the way they skate. So when you look at each guy, certain guys, you'll say, you know what? It's not, a, 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 it's totally a weakness. It's not a, it's not a tightness issue. And then it can be the other way around with somebody. And I've seen guys, for instance, I know a guy, uh, he's a private client of mine, but he's on a different team. And 
they're constantly using the um, the uh, what is it called? The new to test the adductors. It's like a they make the hamstring one too. It's a oh, they like the Nord board thing. Nord board. Yeah. So they have a groin board. And okay. this guy has had zero adductor issues. No problems. I've trained him for, this is my 13th off season. Never had a problem. Started having groin issues because they want to justify this machine and they test him every week. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden he's got issues because he, now I'm not saying leave it be, but I, I, they're over testing or overusing those muscles that again, you mentioned, they're eccentrically using that all the time. Now we have to address Okay, again, there's a difference between perfect world where you have to address the ice because that's the other thing people don't talk about. Are they skating a lot on shitty ice? Is it soft ice? Is there gaps, which will also affect their, affect their groins on that day? So, you know, to me, a good way of getting the adductors around is the posterior chain. So, you know, training those all, and that's why something like a sled pull-through concentric action only where you're kind of getting all of it and then again look at i mean I'll, I'll, the split squat the way we do split squats if you look is a big adductor exercise as well i mean and that that will recruit your adductors in the bottom position as well so depending on what you're doing um but when we test them for instance i have a very 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 fast skater and his groins are like don't, it, it would be like uh, he, he's got like he, he's fast like a Ferrari, but his adductors are like a Honda. I mean, it, it's like it doesn't match. So then I'm looking and I'm figuring out like this guy is super fast. How do we make this better? So that's the issue that I went at is well, let's stop spending so much time in abduction, more posterior chain, more adduction. Because he's super strong in quad dominant exercises anyway. So, so my question in regards to training it is, would, would your approach be in order to lengthen the adductors, is it to train them since they're, they're, constantly, they're constantly trained dynamically, eccentrically in a dynamic fashion where the AB ductors are trained concentrically in a dynamic fashion. Are you going eccentric AB duction to take the stress off the adductor and concentric adduction? Are you doing something like that in order to flush no, it out? Not, not all the time, but yes, sometimes. Like, so my point is we'll train, we'll train the adductors eccentrically, isometrically, and concentrically. Why? Because sport is played with all three muscle contractions. And that's, mm -hmm. and that's kind of why, you know, along why we do devout our training that way is, you know, that's how sport is played. You're in, in every action, you're going to use one of those contractions. So for us, that's 100%, but we do it in different ways. So, mm -hmm. and in different planes. And, you know, I, I think if you eliminate it one, like a, a block where you would say, oh, we're going to do eccentric this block, to me, in my opinion, that's too long of a time to lose that quality especially for that kind of exercise. So, and we're able to train it more frequently because you, you just to answer your question, they skate in the way that you mentioned. So why not train it that way multiple times? 
and that's how it's going to happen. And that's how we do it. So what you said is how we do it in different ways, because that's how it, it occurs in skating. And then you have to look at different things like, are they wearing sneakers? Are they not wearing sneakers? Are, how are they pushing off? Because if you can't look at the, because the way they skate, the way they lace their skates is, is different mm -hmm. to each person. Now, it sounds like we're being super picky, but it makes, the, it, if you don't address these issues, then you're neglecting, you're neglecting helping them to the point that you can. So, so in regards to any kind of hip dysfunction, whether it's abduction, adduction, extension, flexion, are, I, I know you got a chiropractor on staff. I know you got an acupuncturist on staff or an a, ART guy on staff. You, you have all these things at your disposal. How do you address someone in immediate, in current pain? Are you training them? Are you sending them for body work? How are you, how are you going about doing this? Well, ho hopefully we don't have that other than in season, you know, where they're whatever, where they get hit by a, a foot, you know, get a, like a non-contact, I mean, something that we can't control or, you know, it's acute. Like we don't, uh, there is no ling like lingering issues. We will personally address ourselves. Like, you know, my thing is always, you know, if a doctor ever tells you don't do anything, to me, you know, there's always a way to do it. And there's always something you can work around. And luckily, the, the doctors that we have, you know, wh whatever the issue is, they'll treat it and then we'll train it. Because I've always said soft tissue injuries require both. And one without the other typically isn't going to cover it. Meaning, if you just get treated, most athletes, or a lot of them, especially the younger generation, just want to lie on a table and, you know, get massaged and get worked on. And some of them become obsessed with it. And that's good, but unless you train what you just treated, you're missing out on actually getting that recovery. Or it's going to happen again. So getting ART or, or grasping or whatever the case may be, or stim and acupuncture or the ARP, or whatever it is, you need to train, not at the same time, but, you know, train that muscle as well. So w when we see somebody get hurt, obviously they'll go get treated if it's acute. If not, we'll typically change the program in whatever the case may be, and obviously sharing notes with, with whoever it is that getting treated. But very rarely off-season, unless it's acute, is an issue. I mean, it's usually – I always like them to do maintenance before something happens, right? I mean, it's always working the lower back, which we also, the, the tight hip flexors, which can lead to the lower back. So getting the hip flexors, the psoas is a big driver with that lower back. And then, you know, hockey is a big upper cross syndrome. So you're getting flexion of the upper back and you're getting that anterior pelvic tilt in the lower. So you know, addressing those issues early on along with working on those issues. So, you know, say, hey, these are the issues that we see, treat this and this. And then that'll help it obviously get done quicker. So, yeah, do you want to go? No, 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 go, 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 go. So, so in regards to training guys, when you have, I, I know you have a, a particular way 
like you you have your template that you kind of you kind of go off of and you know you you auto regulate with each guy from that template what do you do when you get the old vet that is really fucked up like how are you and and he can't do half of this stuff how are you modifying that then I have the oldest in the AHL, which is the, you know, the minor leagues of the NHL. I have the oldest guy in the AHL. And I also had, I also had a guy who was the oldest guy in the history of the NHL to lead the NHL in points at, at an old, at an older age. So that's a good question because to me, you can't train the same way. And um, you can't do the same things, but then you also can't say, you know, we're going to do, you, you got to still, it's a, it's a sport that requires power. And, you know, I draw the analogy of a guy who's played in the NHL for 15 seasons is basically like a, you know, 2002 Mercedes Benz with 300,000 miles on it. Like that's a lot of wear and tear and you have to treat it differently. Um, so obviously recovery plays a big thing. But to me, I found that you pick your spots in terms of intensity, but you also short, shortening the workouts, eliminating things altogether that they just don't need to do anymore at that age. Because also think about it. Again, we're dealing with a sport where the skill of the sport can cover a lot of things. So if a guy's been playing for that long, chances are he knows how to put himself in the good positions. He knows how to think the game. He knows how to play the game. So you're, as a strength coach, now it's keep him in the game for as long as we can, right? So at this point, he's probably not going to get faster, but he's going to get faster by staying the same. So we keep him the same as long as we can. And that means he's getting faster. So to do that, you know, again, it's a course of knowing your athlete for, for as long as you are. You know, some of the impact things – you know, we won't back squat as much anymore and we'll do more single leg things with him. Um, we're still doing some uh, speed strength work, but it's different. Um, there's less multi-contact plyometric sessions, you know, keeping an eye on, like, I've never done a plyometric session where you're worried about X amount of jumps that Verkus, you know, it's like, come on. It's, yeah. it's, so we're not, you know, we're not counting contacts, but it's certainly, you know, not exceeding 100 contacts. So those type of things. And also what I found that works is he works out less. And I was a, I didn't think, you know, as a strength coach, we want him in the gym all the time, right? You want to feel that what you're doing is helping. But, you know, we cut him down to three times a week. And guess what? He, he's strength and all his numbers and everything are, are as good. He feels as good. He, he hasn't been hurt once. And he played all his games, and he, he's doing well with three, three workouts a week. So to me, obviously, as we all know, you'll get more as a younger person. You can do more, and you're going to get more gains. But as you get older, that's slower to happen. So cutting him back to three times a week um, has helped, and he's done well from that. Yeah, yeah, the, the less is more mentality really, really takes off. And, and with, with my older guys, it's funny. My, my pro guys that I get are always older guys the, or, or they're young guys that have been fucked up that, that got some serious injuries because, I mean, the way I train, um, you know, I was, I, we were just talking to Mike Boyle about it. I train like a pussy now. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Like, cause, cause I know it's it, it, the risk reward with certain things. Like I, I, the wear and tear that some of these guys will be put on. It's it, to me, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Right. Right. So, well, so there's a high, you know, and, and especially as you get closer to the season, like I always say, like, you have close to a season when you're getting somebody ready for a team that's not your team, meaning you don't have anything to do with it. You have a whole hell of a lot to lose and very little to gain in those last block three weeks. Or So, you know, the point of training, but you also, that's not the time. If you've trained properly the, the entire offseason, those three weeks are not a time that you need to make up something, you know. So, yeah. the, the, there's, and I've seen, like, the last thing you want to do is have somebody with a hamstring or a lower back right before he's about to go to training camp. You know, that's a great way to, to lose people. And if you just let off, you know, all of a sudden if you don't do anything because you're too scared, well, that's not going to help them either. So mm-hmm. it's the experience of knowing how to – I mean, I have guys train – you know, in hockey, there's this thing called the morning skate, which is depending on the guys and, and who it is, you know – they hate it, and, you know, the, some of them it's mandatory. But what I have seen, especially for a lot of people, is to do, like, a potentiation workout in the morning of a game has bode really well for people. And we did that at BU. Um, a lot of times we would do a 15-, 20-minute workout for a 7 o'clock game at, like, 10 o'clock. And how do I know it works? I'd see guys on the ice, like, Leg pointing to the legs, being like, I feel really good. I feel really good. And so we then started messing around with even doing that in warm-ups before the game, doing some um, – I brought my K-Box there, and I would have literally eight guys with their gear on, just no skates, jump on and do like five-quarter reps before they put their shit on and go out on the ice. And they absolutely loved it. Um, I wish I could do more of that, but, I, you know, and we would do stuff with guys in between periods sometimes. So, um, but, you know, again, it goes back to what you're saying. It's kind of knowing, knowing the athlete and, and what you can get away with, I think. Yeah. Ben, what do you think, what do you think's made you so successful at keeping your clients for such a long period of time? I mean, I hate like the, the, the lame thing that no one wants to hear and thinks, oh, this guy's full of shit is I truly care. And, you know, I remember one of my high level pro guys who sort of like Mike was saying, he came to me sort of a grizzled vet and was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This is the way I've done things. I'm really successful. I've already won a Stanley Cup. Um, and you can't just be like, well, look at me. Look at all my jerseys on the wall. I didn't buy those at a gift store. Trust me. It's got to be more than that. So in the beginning, it becomes a little give and take. Um, and then they trust you and they start to see that, you know, you have their best interest. But one of the things he said was, you know, it's, is that he liked me or really liked the fact that I was always available. Now, some strength coaches will tell you, you know, don't do that. It's not a good business. Um, but frankly, you know, it sounds hokey, but truly to this point, it's, you know, I'll take texts at night. I'll train guys. One of the guys I, I uh, trained, like we talked about Christmas, he, I was at his wedding and we trained the next day. Uh, and at the time it was like leg day and we literally crushed his legs the day after his wedding. Um, and, you know, 
how many other guys do they the point is like you know say I'm not going in on a Sunday or I won't do this I mean do I do as much of that now as I used to no but do I still care as much as I do absolutely and I think that but then at the end of the day you can care all you want but if you're not successful then <laughs> caring doesn't matter if you're not good at what you do and so you have to be good at what you do and you have to be successful unless you're a personal trainer. If you're a personal trainer, you don't have to be good and you can still be successful. But, <laughs> but if you're, it's true. But if you're a strength coach where you have to be, you have to make sure that you're successful and meaning successful, not monetary wise, meaning your athletes do well either by performance and or injury prevention or those kind of things. So I, to me, I think it's my passion to – I don't like to use the word or use the phrase, you're the best, this is the best, because who the, there's no fucking competition of who the best strength coach is, and, and there's no way to quantify it. Again, everybody calm down. You're good, you're good, you're good. We're all good. So everybody calm down about who the best is or who sucks. It doesn't matter. You know, I used to get so caught up in that, and now I, I don't choose – the one of the reasons – you know, like my Instagram's private and you were giving me shit about it the other days because I don't, I, 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 in my life, don't need to spend, never mind a half an hour, three minutes arguing with somebody about why I'm doing this or why not. You know, I don't care. Like, I do it because I know it helps my athlete and I have the reasons behind it and I've seen it work. Now, if you're an intern or you're a like-minded guy and you want to discuss it, and you want to come to my gym, that's fine. But I don't need to pontificate about front squat versus back squat or, you know, this or that. To me, again, you're not going to get a full taste of any strength coach and what they can do on a podcast or on Instagram because Instagram is framed for what you want to see. You know, how many misses or bad attempts or things do you see on Instagram? So, you know, that's why – when I did do an Instagram, I said, I'm going to do it private and I'm just going to put out exercises that we use and the reasons behind it. And that's it. We're not going to show, you know, yeah, some of the lifts are using heavy weight for a hockey player. But for the most part, it's more like we're going to, rep we're going to show high school kids. We're going to show young kids. We're going to show teams. We're going to show you actually what goes on and for people that are interested in that. But you know, to me, that's what, what, what drives me is to get, give my athletes whatever you deem the best is. You know, Mike trains differently than I, – I don't know. You know, again, we, who knows? You don't know how I train. I don't know how you train. I don't know any of your guests. They don't know how I train, nor do I know how they do. I mean, I'm frankly going off of what they say on, a, on, on Instagram or on your podcast. But, you know, that's why the best way – you want to see somebody and what they do, go to their gym. And if they don't let you in their gym, chances are, you know, you're not going to want to learn from them or they're not going to have something to show because they're not going to know how to explain it. Yeah, I, I people, people DM me all the time. Uh, local trainers, I, I don't give a shit. And they say, hey, can I come in? And I say, yeah, sure, open door policy, man. Come on in, ask questions. As long as I'm not fucking busy, come on in, no problem. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's a way for them to... You know, and then, for instance, that's a great way for them to say, hey, I love what Mike's doing. Let me incorporate more of it. Or, you know what, I don't necessarily believe what Mike's doing. Let me scratch it off the list and let me go to somebody else. But that's what I encourage 
people to do is to see a bunch of different things and then, and then pick, but they're not going to know until they go and see your play. And by the way, you know, the most unrealistic ex people that don't, in our aren't in our business have such an unrealistic idea of actually how professional athletes train. Oh yeah. It's oh, not God. a Rocky montage. It's not a Gatorade <laughs> commercial. I always say all the time, if you see an exercise in a Under Armour Gatorade commercial, chances are it's bullshit and doesn't work because it looks cool and it's good for that montage. But people think that these athletes are like something different than the action. You know, when I get interviewed from a paper or a magazine or whatever, and they're like, oh, let me, you know, I'm like, well, I don't want to burst the bubble, but a lot of times, you know, what they're doing is, you know, not the most impressive thing in the world. But the point is they're getting better at what they're doing. So, you know, obviously different sports provide different stimulus and you can see different cool things. But, you know, with what, what we deal with and Alex, I'm sure, you know, it's not the most impressive in terms of uh, weight. That's for sure. Especially not with hockey, mate. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, you Mike, know, you I try any... to get them to, to say, hey, look, who cares? You know, that, that's why, like, you, you know, we use – like, that's what I'm talking about real world, right? Like, two times your body weight to start doing plyometrics, like Dr. Stone will say. Like, come on. Well, there, is, there isn't – I don't know how many guys – there is 1% of the NHL that can squat yeah. two times their body weight. It doesn't happen. And, and then the other half are super skilled, really good players that are thinking that, you know, they don't need to train hard or train their legs or whatever because, you know, so-and-so is good and they want to do what he's doing. And, and he's good because of his skill. So, you know, that's, that's a – in our industry of hockey, that's a scary, scary proposition that's going on right now for sure. I think that's what makes it so exciting too, though, to be completely honest, because you can't argue – that you're that important, you know? And I would say in hockey, it's really true because the best guys are wizards and the best players that I've worked with, I mean, you know, most of them are, are really not that impressive at all. Yeah, I mean, and what do they always say, right? Like, I, I, us as strength coaches, well, look, we have to get excited when a guy's jumping high or running fast or using big numbers, but then the skill guys go, yeah, he sucks in hockey, though. <laughs> yeah. Right? It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. That's yeah. what they say. They go, he sucks at hockey. Oh, well, I'm doing my job, so let me be happy about it. <laughs> I, I can't – I'm not an on-ice skills coach or, yeah. you know, so and, – and by the way, the skills guys are like, look, I don't need to do this. I mean, I had a kid – true story. It was a jump mat, not a force plate, so take what you want. But in three and a half months, his vertical jump went – and this is a high-level player in the NHL – 12 a foot his his vertical jump went up 12 inches in three months and it's not be, you know first of all that's how deep and he he, it, he didn't care he's not like <laughs> he, he didn't come back, he didn't come back. <laughs> I'm serious. for all these guys that are like you know so I, I go hey i had a kid he made the all-star team his vertical jump went up 12 inches he signed an eight-year deal or whatever he's now in and Guess what? He didn't come back. I'm like, that's what happens because they don't quantify that it's that important. Like, because they're like, ah, I'm good. Uh, or he's like, you know, and we found, uh, you know, that 
sometimes in hockey, the broad jump seems to cross over better than the vertical jump. So his vertical, his broad jump went up eight inches. So we're like, your vertical jump goes up a foot and your I mean, those are like fake numbers, right? I mean, nobody, but I'm telling you it happened because I'm telling you he didn't come back. <laughs> he didn't come back after that. It was like numbers were too good or something. <laughs> so, I mean, you're obviously in engulfed in what you're doing, right? Like you're super passionate. This is, this is your profession, yeah. right? Like this is, you were meant to do this. You picked the right thing. You're in love with what you do. Do you have a life outside of this? What do you do? Do you, do you have a family? How do you, how yeah. do you live no, your life? Honestly, I, my life, well, if we're talking about non COVID days, I mean, generally speaking, you know, I, again, I'm, I, I tr like, like, my days off, I'm training, I and mean, I'm training, or I'm, you know, my I'm married, and, and I have a dog, and I'm sure you've seen him on a lot of if whatever we do put out. He's he's on that, and and that's it. And then maybe because I don't have kids, that you know, I'm a, I I put more into it as well because I have the time. But you know, I love to train. I mean, I grew up training, and I grew up an athlete. So to me. You know, I'm spending all my time in the gym. Obviously, I like vacation just as much as anybody. But when I am on vacation, again, anybody will tell you I'm reading some kind of science book or some type of Russian literature translated stuff. And to me, you know, I get angry and guys will tell you, I get, and they're like, wow, where did that come from? I just get super angry when people that, you know, are, everybody has an opinion now, but you know, they've trained nobody, they've put no time in, and they have no passion, but yet they're going to give you their opinion on how to do something. And, you know, if I'd probably get kicked off if I started going on social media, and I would just go on a rant. So that's why I just stay quiet about it. And, but yeah, so I, I spend my time training, going on walks. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in like this Sunday, even with 13 trainers, I was in the gym, for four hours, changing stuff around, you know, cleaning, um, doing all these things that, you know, I, I was saying during the recession, you know, I, I did between the recession and the fires, you know, you can't have a front desk person. You can't have, you got you to do what it takes. So you clean toilets, you vacuum the rug, you, you write programs, you hire people, you fire people, you do whatever it takes. You return a call for a hopeful client on a Sunday. You know, you don't wait till Monday. You, you show as much passion as you did. Because, look, I, I never lose for granted. Like, we have people, Jersey, Long Island. We're in Connecticut for people that, you know. So we have people that drive an hour, two hours to our gym. I never lose sight of that, you know. And I never – it's not like if they're five minutes late, I'm going to pull the bullshit. Oh, you're late, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure they're late because they're in their car for an hour, and I make sure that they're going to get their full workout in, without, never mind the time. We're going to give them the respect, and I'm also going to make sure that my coach who's coaching them, hey, look, this guy could have gone somewhere else. There's plenty of options. And by the way, I tell them all the time, being the best isn't – just because you're the best strength coach and you have the best gym, again, I don't know what that means, but you think so, doesn't mean they're going to line up at your door. You know, a lot of the people that don't take, like, a lot of high school kids don't take training. They're going to just go where it's closest to their house mm -hmm. or they're going to go where their buddies go, and they don't know whether they're getting better or not. Again, like, talk about. So 
you have to, every person you have, even to this point in my career doing this for this long, I mean, if you come to my gym, you know, you'll see me interviewing interns and meeting with our coaches once a week. And we're going, you know, whether we do book club or whether we do, you know, we write down questions and we do Q and A's with our staff. Um, and then, you know, I want my staff to know that they're, you know, I'm not trying to keep them down, so to speak. I go, look, I'm not, you know, just because my name's on everything doesn't mean that I don't want your opinion and, and value if you have an opinion on, on the way that we can do something better. And, you know, our, my director of performance, Rob, you know, I, you know, I'm proud of him and what, how he's become. And I'm proud of the fact that he started as an intern. And we use that as an uh, – he started as an intern with five other interns and none of them are even working with me now. And now Rob has a family and he's running the gym when I'm not there and he's writing programs and he's, you know, a main cog and he started with us as an intern. And, and that's to me, you know, the way that it should go as it should go with your athletes. Like we have, I don't know how many, I don't know, five, six athletes that started with us when they were 12 years old and now they're in the NHL. So to me, that's a testament more – I mean, obviously, there's a lot of luck, but we know we had something to do with that rather than, you know, taking an NHL all-star and, you know, saying you're the shit when he already has been an NHL all-star and he'll be an NHL all-star without you. I yeah. say that all the time. I've been, I've, you know, Marty St. Louis mentioned me in his Hall of Fame speech. He's mentioned me in all the things, but, you know, Marty St. Louis would be in the Hall of Fame if he never knew who I was, and I say that all the time. And, you know, he's a great, great athlete and a great hockey player, and his work ethic, regardless of who he trained with, he would have got to that point. Now, do I take pride in being a part of him for, for 13 off-seasons or 11 off-seasons? You know, absolutely. But, again, let's not get carried away. Let's be, have a little humility in our game. That's awesome. You got anything else, Mike, or should we wrap it up there? Let's let him go. He's been here for over an hour and a half now. Ben, thanks so much, mate. It was really. fun, guys. Hey, appreciate it. And I'm glad to see you guys are doing well with this. Yeah, man. It's, yeah. it's taken off. It's, it's, it's doing really well. So hopefully you get, hopefully, and not like you really give a shit, but hopefully you get a ton of views out of this. And, and no, people. Yeah, I mean, it's all about, I like to, I was telling, I, shooting the shit with you guys. We'll do this with nobody listening. I'll do it again. Yeah, I, I agree. Let's let's get you on again soon, man. And I, I got to get up to your one of these fucking days when when my time frees up. I'm I'm done with school in December, but once once I'm done with school, I want to come up to your gym again, man. I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I I fucking loved it there. That place was. Oh, I'm gonna take some notes and try to try to mimic what the hell you're doing over there with with, with, with decor, bro, dude. It's <laughs> it, you. I, I'm I'm like I have like this little office here and today I had a couple of my buddies in. Puppy. You gotta frame that thing. I'm too fucking cheap, bro. I have <laughs> it costs five hundred dollars to frame a fucking jersey. You can't only frame it, but you gotta have it with like silver sharpie on the red because uh, you know that's how you can see it. So so bro, <laughs> no fucking bullshit. I had two people come into my room today because this is just like a random office in my facility that I just used today as a podcast. I had them come in today to check it out because I know how meticulous you are. And I want to be like, yo, is, does this look good? Is this okay? I, because I, I, I just wanted to make sure everything was fucking good. I didn't want to hear any shit from you. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I, we, we laugh all the time. I go, 